Hi, I'm Dr. Kevin Milo, and you're listening to the Physician Empowerment Podcast. At Physician Empowerment, we're focused on transforming the lives of Canadian physicians through education and finance, practice transformation, wellness, and leadership. After you've listened to today's episode, I encourage you to visit us at physempowerment.ca, that's P-H-Y-S, empowerment.ca, to learn more about the many resources we have to help you make that change in your own life, practice, and personal finances. Now on to today's episode. Hi, everyone. I'm Kevin Milo, one of the co-founders of Physician Empowerment, and tonight I'm joined by Wing, also one of the co-founders. And he is going to be inter- interviewing an associate of ours, uh, Mr. Goran Ogar. And I'm not going to introduce Goran. I'm going to let Wing do that. But I'm going to introduce the topic. And, and the topic is this. Aspects of the Canadian tax code that your accountant or lawyer may not be aware of. So a bit of a controversial topic and a very fascinating deep dive. And I'm really looking forward to this one uh, because Goran has a ton of background in tax planning for high net worth individuals, as well as um, businesses and and startups. So with that being said, I'm going to step back and I'm going to let you uh, run the show here, Wing. Take us through this great topic. Right on. Thank you, Kevin. So I'm I'm Wing, uh, Dr. Wing Lim. I'm one of the co-founders of of Physician Empowerment. And some of you know me very well, some of you I may not know. Anyways, I'm absolutely excited to interview Goran tonight. Goran and I went back 20-some years ago. <laughs> well, our past kind of crisscross, and then we're working on some really interesting stuff together. So, yes, so the topic is highly controversial. But let me introduce why I would interview Goran. Uh, he's one of the most interesting guys I know. And we say that our webinar and podcast, we want to interview interesting people on this interesting topics. So Goran, of all, he came from Serbia, and of all places that he chose, to fly to his chose the frozen north called Edmonton <laughs> 25 years ago. And he actually uh, became a, a preacher, went to school, became a preacher, and ended up in the financial world. But not just that, he did a bunch of startups, different companies. He's a serial entrepreneur. Uh, I, I consider myself one of those two. And it's not open up serial companies. <laughs> it's serial as a bunch and he's taken some companies public that's in the oil and gas industry and others and he's done restaurants different things him and his wife both like they they cook so well it's like master chef and they fix a meal for me and my wife it was absolutely amazing and uh so goran is not the type of uh, financial advisor that goes around drumming up clients he has to select suite of of select high net worth uh, clients and some of them are in this professional space but some are extremely wealthy and he i would call him specializing in complex tax strategies he's been retained by various companies to do retirement planning and two of which that is in our city is university of alberta and uh, nate north alberta institute of technology and and these are uh, and they hire him just to help people retire, right? So, so without further ado, Oren, so tell tell us about your yourself, your journey. Like uh, it's really interesting path you crisscross. Yeah, well, I came back in uh, mid nineties to Edmonton to study theology of all things, and when I finished my undergrad studies, I continued for the master's degree and uh, had a really good friend who was a financial advisor. He showed me strategies that he was doing, in particular tax strategies that he was doing for his clients. And uh, I just fell in love with the process of uh, strategizing, figuring out different things, 
And uh, the bottom line for me was uh, figuring out how to, uh, and learning how to reduce the tax burden. And so that was about 21 years ago. And uh, I decided at that time to join a company, Asanta Wealth Management is the company I joined and uh, became a financial advisor. And one thing that was uh, very interesting for me, because uh, before getting into financial industry, I was a teacher at local uh, college here. And teaching was the only thing that I knew how to do at the time. So I prepared courses on uh, financial planning and uh, tax strategizing and uh, approached large companies in Edmonton area. And U of A, University of Alberta was one of them. Uh, Nate was another shared international Dow Chemical uh, and dozen other companies. They hired me and I was doing their uh, financial planning, educating their employees for probably about 12, 13 years or so. But in that period, getting to know and meeting lots of entrepreneurs, I myself decided to become an entrepreneur myself. And uh, in the process started several companies in oil and gas, in tire recycling, hospitality. That was probably the most painful experience on in the restaurant. <laughs> Wouldn't advise anybody, you know, unless you're <laughs> so passionate. But hey, I did it. And uh, it was a fun experience. So uh, and uh, lots of good stories to tell from that. So. The good, the bad, and the ugly, eh? And so, so, okay, so with that diverse background, of course, you dealt with some really high net worth in uh, family offices and individuals, and there are stories that I don't want to belabor everybody, but there are people who are double-digit million, and then there are tax advisors, goofed, right? And then as a result, they paid millions and millions of dollars in tax they should have. So for our level, regular human beings, uh, doctors. Uh, so what So what could possibly, the tax code, right? What could possibly our accountants and lawyers not know? Didn't they go to school? Well, <laughs> they did. The challenge is that uh, the Income Tax Act is about 3,500 pages thick. And uh, in order to reduce taxes, you, you need to know the rules. And to know all the rules is pretty difficult. You really need to have an uh, Income Tax Act as your bedtime read <laughs> those things out, right? And very few people do that. And on top of Income Tax Act, there's income tax regulations as well. That's another 1,500 pages. So when you start looking at the whole picture of uh, how the taxes are regulated in Canada, there's lots of material to study. The challenge is, in particular, for lawyers and uh, for the accountants, Yes, many of those things are not even being taught during their education as they're getting their uh, certification degrees and uh, being actually accepted to the bar because other things are more interesting and there's, uh, there are other things that are more of a focus. So the taxation does, uh, ends up being a really specialized field because even every accountant, you will come across a tax accountant. So there is a general account, there is a tax accountant. And uh, actual tax accountant, accountants are very few of them are out there. Most of them are, uh, most of the accountants are general accountants. So they don't focus on strategizing and the strategies that would be applicable both to the individuals and uh, uh, small businesses or any uh, size business. So the taxation is really narrow field and there are way too few, if you will, uh, specialists in uh, that regard. Right on. So those of us who are married said the vow, so till death do we part. It might hold true for marriages. It doesn't hold true for taxes. <laughs> and sometimes till death do we start, right? And so so maybe we should start there. So let's start with the end in mind, right? So what happens when we pass on, we, we save, work all our life, save the money, and, and, and then 
What does this tax plan get if we well, just don't do uh, careful planning? Yeah, the, the big challenge is, uh, in particular, with people who own uh, uh, corporations, and uh, most of the physicians are uh, corporate owners, you are a business owner, you run a business. Whether you feel that you are uh, a business owner or not, you are, that's the bottom line. And uh, essentially, when a person, business owner, who's, let's say, 100% or 50% business owner, when that person passes away, the corporation is deemed as disposing of all the assets. So the corporation gets taxed pretty much at the highest marginal tax rate when the owner passes away. So the corporation gets taxed at about 50% tax rate. Now, the next step is for the assets to pass to the estate and uh, as an inheritance, there is another layer of tax that comes on top of that, that the estate is going to pay at the disposition of those assets. So unless there is a proper tax planning, there is double taxation at the corporate level and then at the personal level. And that tax could be easily north of uh, 60% of the total assets that would go to the government. So wait a minute, wait a minute. So you say, okay, so we work out bunch of over years. Let's say we save a million dollars in NASIC, pass it to the next generation. So what really passes to the hands of our children is only 40%. Uh, roughly 40% if no planning was done, right? Wow. wow. So, <clears throat> so what about what about these RSPs that everybody racking up? I've, I've known people rack up millions of dollars in RSP and then become RIF yeah. and whatever, Lira. And what happens right. to those? Well, <laughs> when the person passes away, uh, if that's the last person, let, let's say uh, in a couple, right? Yeah. So all the assets are considered to be sold. So full withdrawal of the RSPs happens. And uh, pretty much if, the, uh, if there's a million dollars in the RSPs, that's considered in the terminal year, the year of death, that's considered uh, as an income to the person that passed away. So at a million dollars, that would be the highest tax rate, depending on the province where you are, two, 3% up or down from 50% of the money would go to the government, depending on the province. So uh, 47, 48 to 53% in Canada goes to the government from the RSPs. Uh, same with Lira, right? Uh, uh, the only actually type of account, registered type of account that uh, would not be hit by that is uh, TFSA, tax-free savings account. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately with the tax-free savings account, there is a very limited amount of money that could be invested in it. So well, that's it's so good that the government has to limit it. That's right. Yeah. Now, the other thing the government, it's so good that the government have to limit it is insurance. That's right. Yeah. So there are three types of uh, insurance, actually two categories. Uh, there is term insurance and there is permanent insurance. And permanent insurance could be as universal life and whole life. Uh, what's interesting is uh, about five years ago, the government reduced the amount of money that could be placed uh, inside the insurance. And when I say placed inside the insurance, uh, permanent life insurance is very different from the term insurance. Term insurance is uh, only insurance that has uh, pure insurance cost in it, plus some administration fees and stuff like that. So it's kind of like people consider it as a cheap, the least expensive uh, type of insurance. It's not. Actually, it's uh, even more expensive when you look at the net cost of pure insurance it's slightly more expensive than uh, net cost of pure insurance inside the permanent policies. Now, with the permanent policies, that's universal life and uh, whole life, 
there is the insurance component, but there is also the investment component. In the past, government used to allow a significant amount of money uh, to go into the investment portion of the permanent policies. And the challenge for the government was that the investment inside the insurance is exempt from the taxation. So it behaves in a similar way like tax-free savings account. And essentially, a person could uh, put a large amount of money to grow at your discretion, if it's universal life, you can invest however you want, uh, mutual funds, stocks, uh, index funds, whatever you want to uh, have in your portfolio. And that money would grow on a tax-free basis. And uh, uh, at the time of passing, it would go to the estate on a tax-free basis as well. But also, uh, a person could withdraw from there in the form of a a collateral loan or a straight withdrawal, we can get into it a little bit later. But about five years ago, the government decided uh, uh, to reduce the amount uh, of money that the person could invest inside universal uh, life policies, simply because lots of people were putting uh, significantly large amounts of money into those uh, life insurance policies and uh, without paying any tax on them. So that's... that's actually the wealthy people's secret weapon, right? They stuff so much inside this TFS in, on steroids, which is insurance, uh, permanent insurance, and jacking up, just getting fatter and fatter. And at the end, the government gets so little tax out of it, they have to limit because it's so good. That's right. Uh, there are certain strategies. We're not going to go into uh, all the details because our time is limited from that perspective. But there are certain strategies that could be used with, uh, within those policies and with the corporation where literally corporate money could be withdrawn outside of the corporation without triggering any tax. Yeah, no, so we'll, we'll go, maybe we have time to dive into that, but this is very yeah. interesting. So, would you, so, so, comparison number one, you have a bunch of assets, portfolio, you know, usually the regular Joe doctor goes to the regular Joe accountant and they say, okay, pay yourself T5, save a bunch of money in the corp and invest in the corp and build up the portfolio. And upon death, like right. you say, there's double taxation is like 60% gone to the tax man. So what happens if there is an insurance policy? So essentially uh, how it works with the insurance policy, let's say if it's corporate owned insurance policy, so there is no withdrawal of money outside of the corporation. If a person would set up insurance policy, they could dump in a large amount of money uh, as an investment inside that policy. So that money would, uh, number one, it would grow uh, tax sheltered. Uh, what it means is there'd be no taxation. So again, similar to the RSPs or a tax-free savings account, as compared to regular investment inside the corporation, which would trigger uh, passive income taxation. And at a, uh, about three, four years ago, the government actually was addressing the passive income uh, inside the corporations. And if your passive income is over $50,000 per year, you lose the benefit of the small business deduction, which means uh, you're getting taxed as a large business, even on the first portion of a half a million dollars. With the life insurance, permanent life insurance policies, so universal life or whole life, you completely bypass the passive income taxation. Now, if those, uh, uh, if the investment inside the policy grows, and let's say if it stays there 34 years until a person passes away, 
the proceeds from the insurance are paid into the corporation, number one, on a tax-free basis. So they hit the corporate account on a tax-free basis. The corporation does not pay any money uh, in tax. And uh, as a result, proceeds from the insurance create something that's called capital dividend account, or short uh, abbreviated CDA. Uh, uh, capital dividend account is a notional uh, account, so it's used only for the accounting purposes. But that account allows the funds from the corporation to be passed onto outside of the corporation on a tax-free basis. So which means all the assets that are accumulated inside the corporation within that policy would pass to the heirs without triggering any tax at all. So even if it's corporate money. Wow. So let's, let's dial back a little bit. So same thing, right? So, so you work, you bunch up, have a million dollar Nessie, right? So, so you put it, uh, hide it inside a policy, permanent life policy, which is corporately owned by your PC right. or work, whichever. Yeah. And this thing, so, so upon death, it's not just the insured amount, whatever, one, two, three million that goes to your offspring, yeah. but also the growth inside it is tax-free, right. compound over 30, 40, whatever, decades. Yeah. And it goes down tax-free. That's right. right. So, yeah. so then, then, so the comparison is we, uh, what my wife was a financial planner like 30 years ago. And, and at that time we read the book of the wealthy barber and says, okay, buy a term life, the cheapest to hold it personally. Then you don't have to uh, worry about pulling it out of the court. Then the difference is a million. You only get 400 down to your kids or 300 versus a million. So for us to believe in that, we have to work three to two to three times harder <laughs> to save a million to the next next generation that's absolutely crazy but that's everyday joe that's the advice that we got yeah well, well that's the challenge with the advice that's the challenge with the taxation because uh even i had an opportunity to chat with an accountant uh, one of my clients accountants uh, uh this was about uh four or five years ago four or five uh weeks ago and uh, the conversation conversation revolved about the taxation in certain aspects and uh i mentioned a different accounting firm and a certain strategy I was going to send uh, the documents that I received from that accounting firm, kind of saying that the strategy is okay and that that's what they recommend uh, uh, to the clients. His comment to me was, uh, well, I don't like what they're saying because they approve of capital gains stripping. I'm not going to go into that strategy, but it's a very unique strategy. Uh, it's called, uh, in other words, a uh, pipeline strategy for uh, corporate tax planning. Uh, he was upset because the other uh, uh, accounting firm utilizes that for their clients. Well, the other accounting firm is actually a large national firm. I'm not going to name uh, that firm, but it's a large national firm that has a very good auditors and frankly, CRA does not go, uh, uh, does not come uh, against them very often, if ever. So they're utilizing this strategy that the, uh, the other account did not uh, approve. Why? Simply for the lack of uh, understanding and knowledge of certain aspects of uh, uh, tax code. Right now. So uh, yeah, this is very interesting. So let, let's move on. So do we have to, all these, all these benefits just from one strategy you're talking about, do we have to wait till we die to benefit from? No, you don't. <clears throat> no, because, so let's say with the, with the permanent policies, if they're part of the corporation and if the, uh, if the funds are accumulated inside the corporation, uh, you can either withdraw money from it 
Now, it would be taxed if it's withdrawn outside the corporation. Another, another option is uh, to use those funds uh, and use it as a collateral asset for the loans. And uh, uh, pretty much every major bank in Canada will lend you money against a permanent life policy outside of the corporation for the corporate asset. So the way we structure it often is, uh, let's say if uh, there is retirement planning. So uh, an individual, a business owner, would invest a large amount of money inside the insurance policy. When the time for the retirement comes, they would just have a series of loans outside of the corporation, which would be a tax-free money to them. Let's say a series of 20 loans, 20 annual loans for the 20 years. So all of the money is not withdrawn, it's a loan. The investment inside the permanent life policy continues to grow. And uh, upon death, the insurance policy uh, pays the proceeds to the corporation. As I mentioned earlier, from the corporation, it gets on a tax-free basis to the heirs or to the estate outside. A portion is used to pay off those loans and the rest stays tax-free uh, with, uh, with the family or uh, with the heirs. So a person can simply use that, like collateralized, use a loan as a tax-free income in retirement against uh, the assets inside the policy. Now, so in, in case this makes your head spin, don't worry about it. We'll have future sessions that dive into these strategies today. It's opening, like talking to Goran is like uh, going to a bookstore and find a very interesting book or novel and you open up and you just look at the table of content and you're really attracted. So this today is like one of those because yeah. there's so many interesting things. Now, let me recap it in layman's term. My understanding is instead of going, buying a cheapest term life insurance under your personal name and, and, and then pay us yourself T5, the, the different advice that, that uh, we get here or different wave, brainwave, different wavelength is actually put it inside, a, buy a permanent life policy inside your corporation and stuff as much as you can and build it up, build it up to be tax-free. And not just that, you collateralize it, right? So that you borrow the money out and pay whatever prime rate, whatever. And then, but then now it's a loan to your, under your personal name. So it's not under your corporation, right? It doesn't have to be in a corporation anymore. So you don't have to uh, worry about this passive income thing. And then, so you can invest. So then you have your nest egg inside a life policy that's growing, but you take it out, collateralize it, and you still, and you now you can invest again. So you got two, two piles growing. Is that true, Gora? Uh, uh, sorry, could you repeat? Right. So you, your life policy is growing, right? Right. Uh, Tax-free, but you collateralize. So you borrow the money out. That's right. Your name. Now you can go invest again. So you That's can right. have a second power yeah. growing. Exactly. So what lots of people do uh, is they would have a policy inside the corporation. They would borrow money outside the corporation and not spend that money, but actually use it for the investment purposes. Mm -hmm. So essentially, it's using the corporate money in the personal environment now, mm -hmm. uh, where the taxation is actually lower than inside the corporation. And that's additional benefit that could be used. So right. the, the interest in that regard becomes also uh, tax deductible. Tax deductible, right? Yeah. And then and then there are a lot of struggling young physicians, right? We met young colleagues, but by the time they finished med school, they're two fifty to three hundred thousand dollars in debt, 
right? right. And, and so they if they have this kind of policy and, and do a collateral loan, right? And and so they can pay out a little bit and still sock some money away. Right. right? Or it can yeah. sock away for a re- nice retirement. Exactly. So, so so this now this alone is amazing. What give us and then what else would a regular physician be should 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 we do? If we now that we have this thinking cap on, what else would you advise? Like, what other corporate restructuring strategies would you recommend? So, uh, depending on the personal situation, of course, and everybody's situation is uh, different. But typically, when I uh, I have my wish list for my clients when I look at their situation, and uh, that's restructuring the type of income that they draw out. I understand that uh, people have to take out uh, T four income. But if you're taking T5 income, uh, you can look at reduction of your CPP income to reduce uh, so that you're not paying CPP uh, because many people are not going to use it. So uh, for me, number one uh, income strategy would be looking at the pipeline strategy. So I would advise many individuals, if you have income of, uh, let's say, $200,000, $250,000 per year or more, utilizing pipeline strategy or capital gains tripping would reduce your income by half, literally. Number two is uh, setting up a permanent policy for estate planning, for retirement planning, or for immediate financing uh, for other investments and uh, stuff like that outside of the corporation or for a different corporation. Number three, I would say uh, setting up a family trust. Family trust and keeping the assets inside the family trust. Family trust for a reason, there are tax uh, uh, reasons, but also there is a control reason. That will help you uh, save money from, uh, from creditors. If there are certain situations in life, there are many things that can happen that with a family trust, actually, you can prevent negative consequences from happening. Like uh, a divorce of your kids. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, because uh, with the with the family trust, you can avoid even for your kids, you know, prenup agreements and stuff like that, which is often a tough conversation to have. If a person is a donor, if you like to donate money to charities, I would look at setting up a private foundation as well for those purposes. Because with the private foundation, whatever you put into the private foundation, you get pretty much about 50% tax credit. But you have to spend the uh, only 3% of whatever is inside the private foundation for the charitable purposes in any given year. So those are kind of like four strategies that I would look at seriously considering uh, setting up pretty much every business owner. Now, there are other strategies as well that could be applicable uh, for various situations, but these four, I would say, are the core when it comes to tax savings uh, for business owners. Right on. Yes. When somebody already made a comment, like we're drinking from a fire hose already. So, so and the 30 minutes just came and gone like that. So a couple questions left from me. Why wouldn't more advisors tell us this? Well, uh, I would say, uh, number one, uh, there is a lack of knowledge when it comes to these strategies. And I think that's the biggest issue. Number two, there is, uh, from the accounting perspective, there is on the accountants, there is always fear that uh, you are too close to the line and uh, that you shouldn't walk too close to the line. So I would say those two things, uh, the lack of knowledge and fear of uh, uh, stepping over the boundaries are probably the two most, the biggest reasons why uh, we don't care about those strategies. Fair enough, fair enough. And that's why 
we're here to empower everyone, right? The empowerment process and empower you ask smarter questions, right? To your advisors. That's right. That's so right. then the last question I have, if we have run-of-the-mill advisors, <laughs> we feel stuck, do we fire them or what do we do? What, what are our choices and steps? I mean, that's difficult to say, you know, because I'm an <laughs> advisor myself, right? Uh, but uh, the, the challenge is uh, there are lots of good advisors uh, out there, but there are few in comparison to the number of advisors that are there. So looking and finding a competent advisor who knows his stuff and uh, who's willing to tackle the taxation and the estate planning and the strategies that are involved, who is willing to go extra step, if you will, with, uh, with strategizing. I think would be probably the most important thing for an individual to do. So what, at what time should one retain a tax lawyer in uh, cost? Yeah, I would say for tax lawyer in particular, with income of uh, $200,000 plus, I think a tax lawyer uh, is a must. Because the cost for a tax lawyer uh, at that point, percentage-wise, as a percentage uh, in relation to the income, becomes justifiable. Right, yeah. Wow, that's absolutely amazing. So, so I can share with people that uh, that I've learned tons and tons over the years. And uh, when I meet, I tell people I want to meet with my accountant once a year. Is not I ask my accountant what do I do? Is I I I like uh, do the Vulcan mind, mind melt <laughs> like Star Trek, but I suck him dry. I drive the two hour conversation, and then I would uh, pay the tax lawyer to give instruction to my accountant. Right. So, so that's, that's an inspired advisor is like you, Goran, right? So, uh, that, that is so rare, so rare. Well, so, so Goran, I want to thank you for this really, really valuable, uh, small lesson. And you definitely will be back many, many times. Let's open up the floor because, uh, we want to keep it, uh, lively a little bit. So, Kevin, uh, maybe you can take control. Yeah. I'll be happy to moderate and I'll add that. Goran is going to be joining us uh, for a portion of our conference, May 6th and 7th. So we got those comments, you know, from some of our webinar guests saying it feels like drinking from the from the fire hose, uh, listening to Goran talk. I couldn't agree more. Um, and I'm, I'm right in that in that category myself. So if you're feeling overwhelmed or there was a lot here, this is going to be up on the podcast. So you can always listen to it again. Mm -hmm. uh, but more importantly, just reach out to us, connect with us. Um, Gordon is going to be at the conference to answer these questions and explain these concepts in more depth, right? Because there is a lot here. And like Wing said, we're, we're just glancing at the chapters of a very big book here. But if we do this properly, this can mean hundreds of thousands of dollars over the course of our careers, right? And we sit there chasing returns on the public markets or other investments and we're not we're not really paying attention to the single biggest line item in our lives, which is personal and corporate taxation. So it's worthwhile doing what Wing does. Learn some of this stuff better than your accountant so that your tax lawyer can send instructions over. Um, but that takes time. And uh, I'd encourage everybody to, to come and join us May 6th and 7th for a bit of a deep dive in some of these topics. So with that being said, if anyone has questions, go ahead and ask them or reach out to us via email or connect with us on the website. All right, we got one question. We got one question <laughs> uh, from one of our masterclass participants. Thanks, Goran. Is the investment in whole life insurance going to be managed like mutual funds? You sort so, of touched on this earlier. Do you want to explain that a little bit more? I, I did and I do, yeah. 
So uh, there are two types of permanent insurance. There is universal life and there is whole life. With the universal life, you manage the portfolio uh, just like your mutual funds portfolio. So you have probably 500 choices with most of the companies. You have 500 choices of the investments. You manage them like a, like a mutual fund. With the whole life in particular, uh, the company gives like guarantees. So the insurance companies, they manage that portfolio for you and the income is fixed. So there is no fluctuation like in mutual funds. So they're not phased, but whatever is happening with the market. So the income is fixed on the whole life. Which is amazing already. <laughs> wow. Are whole life premiums like a corp corporate rate expense? I'm hoping I'm getting that right. Corporate expense. I think it's corporate. Is it a corporate expense? Yeah. Uh, no, it's not. There is a very <laughs> narrow reason when uh, life insurance could be a corporate expense. That is, if uh, the bank, let's say, if you're uh, borrowing money from a bank, if they require that the principles of the corporation be insured, life insured, only then the premiums end up being corporate expense. So you mean when we buy a life policy, whole life, like a whole life policy, for example, inside a corporation, it is a personal expense or a corporate expense? Uh, no, uh, it's not considered. So it's after tax dollar to the corporation. Okay, but it's just still inside a corporation. That's it's it, inside the, the corporation. That's so right. inside PC, inside, not personal. Inside PC, it's not personal. Right. That's right. Hi, Question. thanks. Sorry, I can't come online. <laughs> I can't show my no, face. No, sorry. Go for it. Go for it. That, that was very, um, uh, my head is still spinning. So, <laughs> so lots of uh, good stuff, right? So I, I just wanted to be sure that it, it's like uh, after you do your tax year and you have money left over, you pay taxes on it. So whatever you do with that, you can you can buy life insurance with that, just like that, you would do an investment in your corporation. So it doesn't have to be from the personal side. Yeah, it's not from personal side. So if it's okay. corporate owned, uh, exactly how you explained. So after you pay corporate tax, uh, then you use those funds to invest money inside the permanent insurance. Okay, thank you very much. Very welcome. I see the question, what about term life insurance? Same thing with the term life insurance, only if the lender requires that, the, uh, that there is life insurance on the principles, uh, then the term, uh, insur uh, term life insurance could be deductible. Otherwise, it's not to the corporation. There's another question. There's somebody raising hand, but there's a question ahead of that. Who would you recommend? Like term life insurance versus whole life insurance uh okay so where i would recommend uh, uh term insurance is for example there is a uh, let's say a startup company and there is a buy sell agreement between the partners and uh, they're planning to build the company and sell it maybe in five to ten years so where there is a an exit strategy that close then i would say go for the term insurance rather than the uh permanent insurance uh, for the reason of uh, uh, it's less money to be put in because more money is required uh, uh, for the corporation maybe to run. In that case, I would say term insurance because there is no other plan in uh, tax planning that's involved. Now, 
if the desire is to do additional tax planning, then I would look at the strategies with the, uh, with the permanent insurance. Does that answer the question? So I, in my mind, uh, this is my two cents worth, uh, we all have cell phones, right? And, and I, I would say that the cheap term life is, this is a phone you can call somebody. But now people use more than just phone, right? You, your whole life is managed here, right? So whole life or, or permanent life policies is not just a term, but a bunch of other stuff you can use, right? A lot more you That's right. Now, now, what's very important to remember, the premiums for the whole life appear to be more expensive than the term insurance. And I carefully use appear to be more expensive. The cost of insurance is uh, uh, actually pretty much the same. Uh, term insurance ends up being even a little bit more expensive, about 5% more expensive than, uh, uh, than uh, whole life insurance. Because the rest of the money, whatever is the difference in the premiums, so whole life being uh, uh, higher than the term insurance in terms of premiums, the spread that's here is actually what's going toward your investment as a cash value eventually that could be used for the retirement uh, or uh, uh, as a collateral, what we discussed earlier. Mm -hmm. So term only appears to be cheaper, but uh, in reality, they're more or less the same cost. You mentioned a number of strategies like capital gain stripping, whole life, family trust. Is this one after the other, depending on net worth? At what net worth would these be applicable? So how do you deploy these? How do you put these together? Or do we need to sit down with someone like you, Goran, who says, now's the time to do a trust. Now's the time to do capital gains stripping, all that. How, how do we deploy all these strategies, right? Right. Uh, the, uh, I wouldn't say there is, a, how would I say, there, there is a rule at the net worth thresholds when you start applying uh, these strategies. Uh, with the capital gains stripping, I would say, Income over two hundred uh, to two hundred fifty thousand dollars. That's when you start with the capital gains uh, stripping. Uh, with the whole life, uh, uh, you can start at about one hundred fifty to two hundred uh, or more. Uh, with the family trust, I would start looking probably at about three hundred fifty thousand dollars income, and then uh, with the foundation, uh, 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 foundation would come after that. So. The, there are certain stages where a person would uh, uh, apply one strategy, and then when they hit another threshold in income, then, then apply another strategy, etc. And uh, the, beside these four strategies, there are other strategies as well that depend on the net worth uh, uh, of the individual. There is always a potential for the offshore tax planning and stuff like that. So yes, to answer that, it depends on the net worth which strategies would be applied uh, at what stage in life. Does that answer the question? I think it's great. Yes, thank you. You're welcome. Sam? Sorry, like I'm, I'm not sure. If oh, we got you. And now we can hear you. Yeah. Yes. Oh, really? Oh, okay. yes. I've been, I've been typing for the last two minutes my question there. So No, no, no. Uh, Go fire. <laughs> okay, thanks a lot. Like you've been like really enlightening and uh, helpful on really making the tie between the strategy and how it's used in corporations, because I did read about this, especially in the States. And I've asked locally and tend to only get like deer in the headlight looks from advisors. <laughs> so it really sounds like you, you know how to put this thing to use. It's, it's a bit of like a, I guess a personal scenario kind of question, but one way I, well, there's really two questions. One way I saw potentially using this strategy is, say in four or five years, we want to maybe 
do something like building a house, I understand there's a bit of like a buildup to this, the whole life insurance before it starts paying its own premiums. I'd, I'd just be curious to see if you've ever used it uh, this way so that um, essentially those loans can be take out, taken out personally to do something like a, to pay for like a house build or a mortgage or something like that. That's right. It could be, yeah. So there is a strategy that we call the immediate financing arrangement uh, where you can set up a whole life uh, policy and uh, you can literally collateralize that immediately and uh, get 100% of the premiums uh, outside of the corporation as a personal loan uh, immediately, pretty much. So uh, uh, whatever the, the amount of money is that you would need, structure the premiums for the whole life to be in that range, and then you can borrow it uh, outside of the corporation personally uh, right away. Wow. Okay, that sounds pretty powerful. And the second piece was like, um, is it ever too late to implement a like working towards like a whole life? Let's say somebody had collected or, or done the RSP route for many years. Is there a way to 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 move things around, or how would that work? <laughs> yes, there is. Yes. Uh, now on the personal side, so this would be outside of the corporation. You see. As long as a person is comfortable uh, using loans, uh, what I've done in the past is uh, I would set up an investment loan and I would pay the interest from the RSPs, you see, because uh, invest, uh, loan for the investment purposes, the interest that you pay on it is tax deductible. The income that you withdraw from the RSPs is tax, uh, taxable. So essentially you would be using RSP money to pay for the interest on a non-RSP loan, so they would neutralize each other from the tax perspective. That way you could freeze the RSP growth and slowly start transferring money into the non-RSP uh, vehicle with uh, uh, significantly better taxation than the RSPs down the road, so. Okay, I think I'll have to like draw a chart to make that make sense to me, but I think I got what you're saying, yeah. thanks. So again, you have RSP, <laughs> You have a loan, and uh, the uh, let's say RSP is. Uh, I'll just use round number for for the sake of illustration. The RSPs are hundred thousand dollars. The loan is hundred thousand dollars. Let's say the interest is five percent, which is five thousand dollars per year. You withdraw from the RSPs five thousand dollars per year, which would trigger tax on the five thousand dollars per year. But the moment you pay the interest the tax is neutralized because the interest on the loan for the investment purposes is tax deductible, you see. So you're feeding the loan, if you will, with the RSP money without triggering any tax. Wow. Wow. Absolutely amazing. Goran. So cool. Yeah, that's cool. Does it make sense sense now, uh, the way I explained? Yeah, Yeah, wow. Yeah. Well, there's so much here. now. Do we oh, do we have? Uh, we got another time? question. We got another question. Let's go. All right, we'll we'll find some way to cover all this later. Okay, about whole life insurance. As you mentioned a few years ago, the law changed, and um, this participant wrote in. I purchased one policy prior to that change in the law, but what was the change? Can you explain the change? Yes. In whole life. Yeah. So uh, number one caveat: if you bought it before the change your policy is grandfathered. So the old rules applied, which means 
the, what's in insurance industry called MTAR room. So it's an acronym, but essentially what that is, it's the amount of money that you can invest inside whole life policy for the cash. So the government saw that that amount was being, let's call it uh, abused from their perspective or overly used. So they decided to reduce the amount of money that could be invested on an exempt basis uh, inside the whole life uh, policies. So uh, that reduction was probably to the tune of about uh, 30% that they cut it down. So uh, back in 2016, you could put significantly more money as an investment portion inside the, uh, inside the policy as you can right now. But there are ways to work around that as well. So uh, they're not straightforward as it used to be before, but uh, uh, there are ways to increase that uh, investment portion. So uh, to answer your question, if you purchased yours prior to the changes, nothing would change to you. For people who did not buy it uh, uh, at that time, but bought it in 2017 or later, the amount of money that they can invest inside the policy is significantly reduced than uh, to your policy. All right, this is awesome. Now, so I'm aware of uh, the time as well. Now, there was a comment earlier during uh, in the chat, and that is, oh, this sounds so expensive. So can you go on all these strategies, what kind of cost, and is it cost-benefit ratio? How do you balance that? Um, you know, the reason I mentioned some of those uh, uh, thresholds is that proportionally to the income, so whatever strategy you implement in proportion to your income, it would be significantly cheaper to implement those strategies. Even if you need to pay a tax lawyer, let's say $10,000 to set up uh, uh, one of those uh, uh, strategies for you, $10,000 in that strategy would probably save you fifty, sixty, dollars or $100,000 uh, uh, in income tax. So it may sound expensive just to, to write a check, let's say, to a lawyer. But when you look at the tax that you would save, uh, uh, it ends up being uh, uh, actually more beneficial to pay a uh, uh, significantly smaller amount to the lawyer than uh, uh, to the government. So, so I pull, pull, pull from personal experience. Okay, so if you don't know anybody, you have no discount. A pipeline could cost you a 35K, but it saves you, if you do a million dollars uh, pipeline suck out of your corp, it's, you can save $375,000. So your net savings is three hundred k. So, right, I've done it twice, right? So, so, so there, there's always a cost, and then a good advisor will help you work that through, right? And yeah. so, if you only have so little pull, for example, you pull fifty k out, it's really not worth it, right? So that's right. Yeah, yeah. So, all right, good. Now, so this is this is awesome. So uh, now, so I don't want to drown everybody because it's this is already a whole lot of information, and I think the whole point is to expand your your brain. Right? I think our brain is like uh, what do you call that the, uh, the airbag driving. Once you decompress it, you need to you need to shove it back and you can't. Right. So my brain that's happened multiple times, and so hopefully tonight that creates this decompression in your brain. Uh, this is a good place to wrap up. Yeah, I think that ought to cover it. And clearly, clearly, we've got to get Goran back on for another webinar, for a podcast episode, because this was probably our longest by far and away, uh, because it was so good. We loved it. Wonderful. And uh, I'm going to wrap up here before my busy uh, six-year-old uh, um, starts taking up all my all my time and 
<laughs> in space. But uh, again, Goran, we sincerely want to thank you for coming on today. It was absolutely outstanding. And we're looking My forward pleasure. to having you at our national conference uh, this May 6th and 7th. Yeah, looking forward thank to you, it. Thank you, Goran. Really appreciate your thank time you so and your much. wisdom. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Thank pleasure. you, everyone, for attending. Good to see you all. Thank you so much for listening to the Physician Empowerment Podcast. If you're ready to take those next steps in transforming your practice, finances, or personal well-being, then come and join us at physempowerment.ca, P-H-Y-S, empowerment.ca, to learn more about how we can help. If today's episode resonated with you, I'd really appreciate it if you would share our podcast with a colleague or friend and head over to Apple Podcasts to give us a five-star rating and review. If you've got feedback, questions, or suggestions for future episode topics, we'd love to hear from you. If you want to join us and be interviewed and share some of your story, we'd absolutely love that as well. Please send me an email at kmilo at fizzempowerment.ca. Thank you again for listening. Bye.